Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Talking about um, Genesis 22 uh, with Abraham. So let's go ahead and read that scripture. Genesis 22 says, Um, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, Um, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. It's one of the craziest scriptures you'll ever read. Uh, The only time that I'm aware of that God asks uh, somebody to, to kill innocent child, son, Uh, actually he would have been around 30 years old, but man, verse 3 says, so early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance So he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said, Father, Abraham, yes, my son, Abraham replied. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife in order to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, uh, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 gives us some more details into this story. It says that it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, the one who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, God, uh, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I want to talk to you today uh, about how it is in the mountain, that God's provision is in the mountain. We talked about that last week. But today I want to talk to you about how uh, God is in the details. I know, I know you've probably heard the statement, the devil's in the details. <laughs> but what I have found is that God is in the details. I have found that even in this story, 
Uh, as brutal as it is, as scary as it is, that God would ask Abraham to kill his son on a mountain. It's, it's kind of bizarre. But as we read the story, we find out that uh, God is in the details. Many people say that the devil is in the details because um, that, uh, technically difficulty is in the details, right? And so you have this big plan, um, and uh, everything's going to go great, but then the details is where you find difficulty, and most people associate difficulty with the devil. But if you've been around City Chapel for any amount of time, you've come to find out that difficulty is also one of God's favorite plays in his playbook. So God uses difficulty as well. I believe God is in the details. God's in the details because, I mean, just in the beginning of the Bible, you open the Bible, go to the first chapter in the first verse. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void without form, and the Spirit of God moved across the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God divided the light from the darkness, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. I could continue if you like. But the evening and the morning was the first day. I mean, God is in the details. God wants us to know the details. Why do I need to know about separating darkness from light and, and all that kind of, why, did, why is that important to me? Well, it's important to God that you understand that all these things didn't just appear. It didn't just happen. There was a process. There was some details. God was in the details. Even, even, even like when you read the story of David and Goliath, right? God's in the details. The Bible tells us how heavy uh, Goliath's spear was. The Bible tells us how heavy Goliath's shield was. The, the Bible tells us how heavy Goliath's armor was. And, and, and there's, there was no way for David to have known that on the outset. The Bible is just in the details. God is in the details. Now, it's true, it makes it a little more difficult, but it helps you understand exactly what David was up against. And God wants us to know that he's in the details. I mean, that's why we shared uh, uh, JT and Alma's testimony last week. The, the longest video of City Chapel history, almost beat by today's video, but not quite. Eight and a half minutes is more than seven and a half minutes. The longest testimony video of City Chapel's history was about JT and Alma last week and the one-year anniversary of when they, when they lost their son. Say, why would you share that? Why, why, why do we need to know? Because you need to know that God is in the details. That he's not just in the moment whenever you put your faith in him and then he's at the moment of your death. That he is in the details of your very life and everything that you're going through. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He is in the middle of the details. He's in the middle of sorrow. He's in the middle of mourning. He's in the middle of hardship. He's in the middle of loss. He doesn't, he's, not, he's not vacated those spaces of your life. The devil is not the only one in the detail. And in fact, I don't even think the devil is in the details. I think the devil can, can see the details, but God is in the details. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into a fiery furnace, and the king looks in there, and he's like, wait a minute, wasn't there three? Uh, my, my details are slightly off. There, there's a fourth one in the furnace with them, and it looks kind of like the Son of God. That's because God shows up in the details. The devil can count the details, can explain the details, but sometimes there's some details the devil doesn't even see coming when God shows up in the middle of the details. 
God is in the details. God is in the minutia, the messy minutia of our lives. God has not vacated himself from those moments and from those, those experiences. God is not confined to a church or, in our case, a cafetorium and <laughs> an elementary school. God is not confined to what we see as, as religious structures. God is in the details. And God is in the details of this story. God is in every single detail of this story. In fact, I, I, that's why I love Hebrews 11, because it gives us some insight into not just the overarching story. It gives us some insight into the details of what was going on inside of Abraham's head. The, the Old Testament story gives us the overarching um, sort of third person view. As if you're walking alongside him, as, as if, as if you're, you're sort of soaring over him. The camera is panning, and you see Moses, and you see his servants, and you see his son. You see the fire, uh, the stuff prepared for the fire. You see the wood. You see the knife. You, 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 you are a visitor in this story, walking along with him in, this, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. Because, because the Bible is trying to give us an overarching view. But in Hebrews, we, we kind of zoom in. You know, I did the whole pinch thing because I have an iPhone. I don't know how you zoom in, but, <laughs> but, but, in, but in Hebrews, we kind of get, we sort of get to double tap on it. You know what I'm saying? Like we get to, we get to see the details. We get, to, we get to zoom in a little bit, right? Sometimes people take pictures on Facebook and it's so hard to see. What in the world are they taking a picture of? That's why it's great to be able to zoom in. You get to see the details. Oh, okay, that's me up there and it's kind of blurry, but all right, awesome. Facebook check-in, yay. Uh, you know, you get to zoom in a little bit in the book of Hebrews. He zooms into the story where you get to not only see the outside of what Abraham is going through, lifting a knife, about to kill his son. But you see the internal struggle. How many of you know it's not always about what you go through, but, but it's what is going on in you that is often more difficult to deal with? The most difficult thing you'll ever deal with is not going through something. It is, it is trying to live with yourself, with what's going on in you. What kind of turmoil is going on in you? What kind of uh, 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 conflict is going on inside of you. And this is exactly what we see in the book of Hebrews with regard to, to, to Abraham. We see, first of all, if we can go back to that scripture, it says that it was by faith, number one, that Abraham offered up Isaac. Now, now, now the, the book of Genesis doesn't, doesn't, doesn't say anything about faith. It just says that he was tested. And if we're not careful, we can think that God tests us in regard to our morality just to make sure that we know how to behave right. All right, we talked about this last week. If we're not careful, we can draw the conclusion that maybe God tests us with regard to our theology to make sure that we believe right. If we're not careful, we can take a 21st century American view to it and say that God tests us with regard to our commitment to him to make sure that we know how to sort of stay committed to him. But in the book of Hebrews, we understand that God was not testing Abraham's theology. God was not testing Abraham's behavior. God was testing Abraham's faith. It was by faith that Abraham did what Abraham did. And that, by the way, is the test that God puts us all through. In every season, in every trial, in every issue of our life, the test is not about our ability to behave right or believe correctly. It is about our ability to have faith in God. 
And he's testing Abraham's faith here. And it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And then it, it, it could have just ended if, if, if the chapter 11 of Hebrews is, is what is known as the, the Hall of Faith, uh, kind of like the Hall of Fame, but Christians make it cool, uh, Hall of Faith. And uh, it's all about the heroes of the faith down through history that God used. And, and obviously, Abraham is, is, is a key figure, key player in God's story. So if, if, if the writer of Hebrews was just trying to let us know that, hey, by the way, Abraham is a big part of this, he could have just ended right there. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. But he adds a little bit of the details because he wants you to know that God is in the details. That this sacrifice, it was not just what you would think of. It's not just this physical offering of his son, which is difficult, which is painful, which is brutal. But there's more to the story. Abraham, who had, this is past tense, let me give you some history. Abraham had received God's promises. Because not only is Isaac Abraham's son and Sarah's son, but Isaac is also the only son from Abraham and Sarah, and the only son that was supposed to be the son that God had promised to give him, through whom all of these other promises would come to pass. So not only was he being asked to lose his son, he was being asked to forfeit everything that God had promised him. He was being, no, 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 this, it's one thing to be asked to forfeit something that somebody else promises you, right? When somebody promises you that they're going to, uh, you know, get you past your appreciation gift of some Topo Chico and they don't come through, you know, it, I mean, this is hypothetical. I'm just, it's just completely hypothetical, but, but <laughs> it's one thing to be like, oh, okay, well, maybe they forgot or, you know, maybe, I don't know, uh, I, you know, hey, whatever, uh, I'm not to judge, you know, I mean, there's all kinds. And when somebody else falls through on their promises, that's fine because I'm not living my life based on somebody else's promises. You know, I mean, if somebody promises something to me, that's fine. And, and, but, but I'm living my life based on God's promises. You have to remember that Abraham, all of his decisions were around God's promises. God called Abraham, and when God first called him, the lure or the hook that God put in his call was, I am going to make you a great nation, and you're going to have a lot of kids. He's 75 years old. Well, hmm, I don't know. Uh, Sarah, I think she would have been 74 at that age. Wow, okay. Which means that they had lived their entire life up until that point with no children. Which means they had lived, they had lived through you know, their young married years and then their middle-aged years and then they're getting ready to retire and you know they're 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 buying the RV. They're going to tour America, and they've never had any kids whatsoever. And and they've always desired children. They've always desired to be able to to have kids. And now at seventy five, just when they thought their dreams are over, God comes and reawakens the dreams within their heart. God shows up and says, hey, hey, guess what? I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to bless you. You guys are going to have so many kids. It's not, you're not even going to be able to count your kids. They're going to be like the stars in the sky. Look up in the stars of the sky. That's how many kids you're going to have. And the Bible says Abraham believed God. It's faith. 
Abraham looked at his own body and said, I'm 75. My wife is 74. I don't see how this is going to work. But maybe, you know, maybe there's a chance. And then over the course of 25 years, Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah, keep wondering about these children that they're going to have. They don't have any children. God shows up to them a couple of times throughout those years and reiterates the promise, man, you're going to have a lot of kids. It's going to be awesome. And, and he, he continues to believe God. It, it's a certain kind of faith that can watch something slowly die and still believe that God is somehow going to do what he said he would do. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but that's the situation Abraham and Sarah were in. Finally, at 100 years old, God appears to Abraham and says, it's the year, it's time. Sarah, she's 99, she's going to have a baby, no C-section, no drugs, nothing. She's gonna... And Abraham laughs, and he says, yeah, it's kind of past the time, I think. This is not, I don't know how it's going to work. And God says, nope, it's going to happen. And sure enough, it happens. And you would think that would be the end of the story because this amazing way in which God allowed his dream to die and then resurrected it. It's just, wow. And then Isaac becomes of age, the age where he should be out marrying, having children of his own, the age where the promises should start coming to pass. And God says, okay, now... Let's do that to Isaac. Let's just take him out. <laughs> oh, thanks, Myron. Let's just, let's just, we're going we're gonna to take Isaac out of the equation. We're going to sacrifice him on the mountain. And this is what Hebrews is talking about. Abraham, you don't understand who this child is. Abraham had received God's promise and it took a long time. It took a lot of faith. It took a lot of reliance in God. It was not, when Abraham was 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 asked to kill Isaac, he was not just asked to kill his child, which is bad enough. He was asked to kill his dreams and his hopes and his future and the whole reason why he was following God to begin with. Which, by the way, God will often test to see if you are following him for what he's giving you or for who he is. And that's what he's saying. Yet he was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. How did he do that? How could he find God in those details? Well, Abraham reasoned. Abraham reasoned. That, that, that word in the original language is an interesting word. Uh, it means, it's got several meanings actually. It, it means to um, be logical, which uh, some people might want to try nowadays. It's called common sense. It's common. It's common sense. Just common. Just be logical, not rush to conclusions, to weigh things, to balance things, to decide. There's a few words that, 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 that represent this word in our English language. One is to judge. Is to judge, to judge fairly. To, to, to judge, to be the guy sitting up um, at the bench 
and to judge. This is, this is how Abraham was able to find God in the details. This is how Abraham was able to come to the conclusion that he would, that he would, that he would obey God even though it meant losing. It looked like meant losing everything that he had worked for and believed for. He was, he was able to judge. And this is, this is what I would suggest to you. You have to, you have to, you have to start judging. And I know I'm talking in church, and you guys are already really good at being judgmental. But, like, seriously, like, like this is something. <laughs> this is something. I mean, some of you aren't from churchy backgrounds, so I'm, I'm trying to train you, trying to help you out. Like, you're just new to the church. This is important. You got, you got to learn to be a little bit judgmental. Uh, and, and by judgmental, I don't mean judgmental of others. I mean judgmental of your situation. And, and, and to judge, I don't, I don't know how, how, how you guys judge, but, but typically, typically whenever you judge, like, you know, you, you have to get a witness, and the witness sits up on the stand, and then you have to interrogate him. You know what I mean? So, you know, the prosecution comes up, and he starts asking questions of the witness. You know, where were you at, on Thursday at 9.30? And, um, man, if I would have been thinking, I would have said, where were you on Sunday at 9.30 um, uh, a.m.? Uh, that, man, that, that would have been a good one. Uh, so, the, you know, the, 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 <laughs> I was at Starbucks. Uh, uh, but, you know, but, you know so you're kind of asking questions. So they start asking questions, trying to build a case, trying to prove some kind of guilt. And so the witness, like, what did you see? What did you hear? Did you see the defendant? Did you hear the defendant? And, and, and you start asking questions of the witness. And I, I think this... This, this picture is actually very close to what, to what we do in our own lives already. You may not realize it, but you are, in fact, a judge of sorts. You are judging your situation. You are judging your circumstance. You may not be coming to the same conclusion that Abraham came to, but we are all constantly judging our circumstances. And we constantly come to ourselves. I don't, I don't know if you talk to yourself like I do, but... Um, uh, I think it's healthy. I think it's a sign of intelligence. Intelligent people talk. I, I read that somewhere. There was a meme on Facebook. And uh, uh, intelligent people talk to themselves. I talk to myself a lot. Like, uh, you're always talking to yourself, right? You're always asking questions of yourself, trying to build a case in your life, whether for or against uh, what God is asking you to do. We're always judging the situation. But the problem is, oftentimes, we, we only allow the prosecution. We only allow uh, the, the prosecution to talk to the witness. The witness is the one who saw something, who heard something, who, who was there. Oftentimes, we only allow the prosecution to talk in our lives, trying to hit an angle, trying to create a media narrative that would find a guilty verdict. We allow voices of doubt, voices of rejection, voices of, of, uh, of guilt and shame to start asking ourselves about our past. It's kind of weird, right? Like, like, like I'll just be talking to myself and I, or, or I'll just be driving or I'll just be living my life and I'll, I'll remember something negative I did. Like way more often than anything positive that I did. 
I don't know if you're like me, and I've done a lot of positive things. I just have to, I just have to throw that in there. Uh, but it seems like, it seems like whenever I remind myself of something I did, it's rarely something positive I did. It's usually something negative I did. It's almost like the prosecutor inside of me has a lot more airtime than the defense attorney inside of me. Like I'm, I, I'm quick to remind myself of, of failures. I'm quick to remind myself of stupidity and dumb decisions. I'm quick to go back to that and 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 meditate on that and think on that and ask all of myself the questions and 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 as a witness I mean I was there absolutely I have to say yeah yeah I've done dumb things and thought dumb things and acted dumb things and didn't see this opportunity missed that opportunity I mean you know but but those are the kinds of questions more often that come into my mind it's rarely do I allow the defense to question and see, this is why, this is, I think this is why Abraham was able to reason and to come to a different conclusion. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back because in a sense, he already received his son back. <laughs> and so see, there's some, some, like sometimes it's fine, it's fine to be realistic and to allow some, some, some honest uh, discussion within yourself that yes, I failed there, but but it's also good to remind yourself about the faithfulness of God. It's also good to remind yourself about what God did in your life, about what how God reacted to your failure, about how God reacted to your sin, about what God was able to do. What he's doing is he's reminding himself that even after his dream was dead when he was 100 years old, God resurrected his dream and created this miracle of a birth of a son. So if God could resurrect a, a dead dream, then maybe God could resurrect a dead son. He's bringing, he's calculating this whole thing out. And this is what we need to do in our, in our personal life. This is what we need to do and when, whenever we're confronted with these thoughts of self-doubt and self-hate and, self, and self-shame and self-guilt. This is what we need to do. Like, I, like I, okay, for instance, I was, I was talking to my eight-year-old daughter a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about forgiveness. And she said that she had forgiven this kid, um, but she was still kind of upset about it. So this is a newsflash for some of you. If you're still upset about it, you haven't forgiven the person. Just FYI. And I said, babe, you know, if you're still upset about it, if you're still emotionally attached, you have not let it go. You've not forgiven them. And so she asked me the the all-important question, well, how do I really forgive? I said, that's that's a million-dollar question right there. That's that's a million-dollar question right there. So I I said, Lord, uh, we need a scripture. So I went to the Bible. And so we do Bible study every, uh, most nights going through Proverbs, right? There's 31 days in a month. There's 31 Proverbs. So we read a proverb for the day. And I get out a little chart and I draw it. I, I draw a specific verse, uh, stick figure, and uh, the kids try to guess it. And so I, so I, I told her, I said, well, honey, let's, let's read the Bible. Let's see if there is a verse about that in our proverb for the day. And I was just crossing my fingers. Because, 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 I mean, it's fine to sit and interrogate yourself about, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, you shouldn't do that. You can make yourself feel guilty all day long. But why not go to the defense? Why not allow the word of God to speak into our situation? 
And that's, and that's why many people don't read the Bible, because they don't think they need the Bible. And if you don't need it, you're not going to read it. But as soon as you figure out how much you need it, that's when you start reading it, FYI. And so I said, honey, look, let's, let's open it up. So we began reading, uh, I think it's Proverbs chapter 23. It says, it says that a man shall eat out of the fruit of his mouth, and he will receive back to his hand the recompense from his hand. In other words, what comes out of your mouth, you have to eat. And so I drew a stick figure of a guy spitting seeds into the ground, and then later it grew into a tree, and then later he's eating with a big apple in his mouth. And I said, honey, look, this is like your words are seeds. So how do I really forgive somebody? One, stop talking about what they did wrong. Just, just Because the more you talk about it, the more you plant seeds of bitterness of anger and it grows a tree of bitterness and you have to eat the fruit you have to eat that it may feel good coming out but it doesn't feel good going back in you need to stop spitting out some of these negative seeds about what you did in the past and i i mean yeah against other people but even against yourself sometimes you have to just look in the mirror and tell yourself shut up like i god is in the details i my mistakes are not bigger than god's ability to forgive my mistakes are not bigger than god's ability to bring restoration and so I said, stop spitting out these seeds of what this kid did to you and start spitting out the seeds of the truth of God's word, which is number one, I have chosen to forgive this kid. Just spit that out. Every time you think of what he did, I chose, I already chose to forgive. I chose to let it go. Just spit it out. And maybe spit that out by yourself. I've chosen to forgive myself. I've chosen to forgive myself. And number two, God's chosen to forgive this kid. God's chosen to forgive me. Just spit that out. Spit out the forgiveness that God has given to you. Because that'll grow up a tree of gratefulness. And that tastes a lot better. <laughs> gratefulness fruit tastes a lot better than bitterness fruit. And thirdly, spit out what you learned. Number one, this kid shouldn't be trusted with, you know, X, Y, Z. <laughs> just, just put it out there. Now, 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 be careful that bitterness doesn't creep in because some people are like, I learned never trust men, you know. All men are pigs. No, that's not a lesson. That's bitterness, okay? <laughs> I was talking to one guy. I said, so what did you learn from the situation? He said, oh, I learned I can't trust people. I said, no, that's bitterness. That's not a lesson. This is not okay. Because like, then you'll believe you can't trust yourself, and then you'll have to be going around constantly trying to prove yourself. So you have to put out seeds that are, that are according to God's word, that are true, that are good seeds, because then you'll eat that fruit, and it will be in the details of that fruit that tastes so good. It was in the details that he saw the goodness of God. He said, wait a minute, God is able. I've seen God do it before, so I believe God can do it again. I've seen God do it in this situation, so I believe he will be faithful in this situation. He's, 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 he's recounting the details, which, which, is, which is part of what this word means, actually. The word means, uh, the word is logizomai, and uh, it comes from the word logos, which is the written word. But logizomai is where you write something to yourself. Logizomai is, a, is a, to write yourself. So you're not just writing and sending, a, sending an email. You're writing a note. To your, you're taking notes to yourself. When it says that he reasoned, 
that God was able to bring him back. It means that he, he almost got out, you know, his, his little iPad and began writing notes to himself. He began recounting the goodness of God to himself. He began recounting the ability of God to himself. He began remembering to himself. You might, you might, I mean, I know many of you take notes on me, but you might want to take notes to yourself every once in a while. You know what I mean? Like just, just write some emails, some text messages, some Facebook posts to yourself. You're not trying to convince anybody else. The better, the, 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 the greatest sermon you'll ever preach is the one you preach to yourself. Is so he's he's reminding himself about who God is. He's beholding God. He's really seeing God. Uh, A couple weeks ago, a member of our congregation passed away. uh, Ron, you guys remember Ron, the rock guy, um, as he was known. He taught me how to hug correctly. I wasn't doing that right. Uh, pastor preach that was my pastor appreciation gift from Ron. Um, but uh, a few months ago, about six months ago, I stopped by Ron's house, and Ron loved rocks. I got this little rock here. I call them rocks. He called them crystals. He would correct me uh, frequently. Um, but uh, he, uh, we loved Ron. We're gonna miss Ron. But uh, in his backyard uh, last week, last Saturday night, I, I stood up with some of his close family and friends, and I held up this rock because this is, Ron gave me, it's crystal, uh, sorry, Ron. Uh, Ron gave me, Ron gave me a lot of crystals, G- gave me and the kids a lot of crystals. He was generous, generous guy. He, he loved them. They're beautiful. What do you call them? Mother, mother nature's beauty, God's art, something like that. He had some phrase that he said all the time. And uh, he, he, he gave me this in his garage, and it's just little, I think it's called a rosite, a rosacite or something like that. It's just, it's just a little rock. It looks like it's got, it's got some green splatter paint on it. It's got a little brown paint. It's, it's, just, it's like a rock. Like if I saw this in a driveway, you know, he, he handed this to me. He said, he said uh, with his, his Brooklyn accent, he's like, he's like, hurry, 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 look at that. Look at that. What do you see? And uh, I was like, I don't know, some green stuff, some brown stuff, you know, it's a rock. And he's like, yeah, 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 okay. And, then, and then, then he whipped out a little magnifying glass. And he said, okay, okay, now hold up this magnifying glass and look at it. And um, it was amazing. And so I tried to capture that for you guys. And so just to end the sermon, I want to show you a quick video. We went, <laughs> I, t- I took the kids on a family fun day vacation. The Austin Thinkery. There you go. little rock going to check out what it looks like under the microscope. I got this super-powered microscope in there. And you can set it down there and then zoom in a second. It's like these little crystals, like growing out of the rock. It's almost like a little mountain. Like it's just a whole nother like little world. Little paths and crystal trees, little caves.
that's just one side. So you flip it over, and it's like a whole nother landscape. Your voice is thunder. The ground is shaking. The mighty mountains now are trembling. Side. It's so fascinating to me. I pulled, a, I picked up that magnifying glass, and it's like I was in a whole different world. And that's what, and th and that's what I realized. I realized that that's what Ron had been looking at. That's why Ron thought it was so cool. I just saw this, you know? I'm like, yeah, that's all right. But Ron had been zooming in. <laughs> Ron had been focusing, which is the other word that this word reason means. It means to focus, to zoom in. And it's amazing how your value system changes, how you value stuff when you really see it. Like, I think we hold stuff all the time. Like this rock. I think we, we walk around holding things like this. We, rather be, we, we rarely behold it. We, we rarely zoom in. We rarely really understand the value of what we're holding. And folks do this in the church all the time. They have the gospel. They have the amazing love of God. I think it's 1 John uh, chapter 3. It says, behold, what manner of love this is, that the Father would call us, the Father has bestowed on us, that he would call us children of God. Behold. That means stare at, glare at, zoom in. pull. Let's pull this up. And one of the reasons why we're so fearful all the time is because we're zooming in on what the media tells us to zoom in on. We're zooming in on whether or not people should be kneeling or standing during Star Spangled Banner songs. We're zooming in and pulling things apart, but we're not zooming in on the most glorious thing that we're holding. The most beautiful thing in our lives is God. We're not even just like, yeah, he's cool. He's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, people, some people think he's worth a lot. That's because they zoomed in. They saw him. And when you see him, when you really see him, when you really behold, his beauty is in the details. His mercy is in the details. You wouldn't know his mercy if you hadn't gone through the details of life and watched him forgive you time and time and time and time again. You wouldn't know his grace when you, unless you had been in a situation and some dirty details where you needed power to do more than you were ever able to do. You would not know the beauty of him if you never zoomed in. Like God wants to give you a new zoom today. God wants to show you some details. God wants you to see how beautiful. You can, you can be holding something. You can be holding a beautiful family, but if you never zoom in on that family, if you don't, you might not value what you got. You could be hold, you could be in a beautiful church, but if you never zoom in on that church, if you never really get to know those people, you don't even know how awesome 
it was. You just, you, you just held on to the rock of a Sunday morning service and you never even got to know the people that made this thing so gorgeous. The beauty is in the details. The, the glory is in the details. The mercy is in the details. It's all, when, you, when you can zoom in, I'm telling you, you your value system shifts. And the love of God is offered to us and we say, yeah, that's, that's nice. <laughs> Let's talk about how many wings there are on a cherubim. How many feathers exactly are on each wing? Let's get, let's get really excited and really interested about things that don't really matter. I, I, I listen to guys, they even have to make stuff up, you know. Well, this isn't in the Bible, but I think it's pretty interesting. Well, hold up. Like, we got 66 books that are beautiful. We have a nature of God that is amazing. We have the love of God. If you just zoom into that, holy, wow, that's amazing. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful. You have to zoom in on, on what you're holding. You have to actually behold it. And maybe, maybe just for the first time, maybe you're here today and this, this is all brand new for you and you're saying, well, I, yeah, I didn't even know God was offering uh, his hand through my life. I thought he was just offering me a ticket to heaven. That's because he didn't see the details. He just saw the rock with some, some green splatter on it. Maybe you're like, man, yeah, I didn't even know that, that church was more than a Sunday morning show. Yeah, it's because he just holds his rock. But if you'd zoom in, if you'd, if, you'd, if you'd zoom in, man, you would see the richness. After the 1115 service last week, we had a kickball game in honor and uh, memory of Hector. And I looked at the people at that game, and I said, man, this is family. This isn't just, this isn't just a church. This is a family. They're not related, but they love each other like a family. That's the details. That's zooming in. If you would, if you would, if you would take the time to zoom in to your family, you would see that these beautiful kids and this beautiful spouse, this beautiful history and this beautiful thing God's making, Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, I just pray that you would open up our eyes.